Thank you, Jaron and worship team. Uh, I don't know about all of you, some of those songs, singing them staring at a manger, uh, elicited some different feelings in me than I was expecting. So thank you, worship team. Really appreciate that. Friends, it's always so good to be with you on a Sunday morning, maybe especially in December. Anyone else gorgeous, right? Thank you, decorating team. Um, anybody decorate this weekend? Anybody last weekend? Ha, gotcha, that's so wrong. You gotta, <laughs> gotta wait till December. I was listening to a podcast a couple months ago of a guy who is essentially a professional explorer. Didn't know we still had that. So he goes around the world and he investigates uncharted territory. And obviously he's like this incredibly capable outdoorsman in terms of navigating and orienteering and bush survival. And growing up in the East, he'd often read about the Amazon and wondered if maybe someday he would get to explore deep into the Amazon. And so later in his career, I believe it was a few years ago, he flew into Brazil, found a group of local guys who were willing to take him up the river. And so they boated up the river and then down a little finger stream and some more and some more until the boat could not carry on. Then he said to the guys who were guys who had grown up and the last village in the river, super familiar with the place. Um, he said, all right, let's hop out of the boat. We're just going to march into the Amazon and explore. I don't know what they do. And they cautioned him, like, no, we're not going in there. Uh, there are uncontacted tribes in there that are notoriously dangerous. And a couple of the guys actually couldn't be convinced to go along at all. They stayed with the boat. But a few of them went along with this explorer, including his main guide. So they hiked in couple days, couple more days, uh, when suddenly they did stumble upon one of these uncontacted tribes. The tribesmen attacked immediately, killing a couple of them, and the explorer and his main guide took off. Very shortly, they're separated, and the explorer finds himself alone in the Amazon, being chased, and he had lost his GPS. And on the podcast, he said, and I wasn't worried. The only thing he was concerned about was being chased. He had no fear at all about being alone in the jungle. He just thought to himself, you know what, I'll, I'll just find my way out, find my way back to the boat, and get out of here. So he tried, and he couldn't, and then he got scared. The bush was totally unnavigable. He had no idea where he was or where he was going. And so he went into, like, desperate survival mode. And I forget how many days he said, but days he was alone, kind of like, do I move? Do I stay? Where do I go? Can't even tell if he'd retraced his own steps. And suddenly, one of those many days into this, his guide appeared. They said, come on, we got to go get him out of there, gets him to the boat, out the river, and up they go. And he said to his guide, how did you find me? I have spent days, I can't even tell if I've retraced my own steps. This jungle is way too dense, way too complex to navigate without advanced tech, which the guide didn't have. And his guide looked at him and said, I have spent my entire life immersed in this jungle. It is familiar to me in ways that you just cannot know without spending countless hours in the actual thing. There's no substitute for it. And I just thought that was a really cool story, totally unrelated to this morning. I'm kidding. Keep it, in the back of, <laughs> keep it in the back of your head. It relates. So last week we began a story called, or a story, <laughs> 
That was a long story if we began it last week. We began a series called Shaped by God's Word. We've been walking through Psalm 119, the longest psalm in our Bibles, and the title of our series is really the goal of the series. We want God's Word to be shaping us, don't we? And Pastor Dan reminded us last week that being shaped by God's Word, it actually benefits us. God's Word is correlated with the reality he created, right? His world and his word go together. They fit. That's going to come up over and over again in the psalm. And this morning as we continue in the psalm, we're going to look at three more things that God's word does. We looked at three last week. Anyone remember them? God's word, it blesses us, it shields us, it strengthens us. So three more things God's word does today. But just as we begin, let me open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Sunday mornings. Thank you for this weekly reminder of the resurrection. And Lord, as we stare at a manger, we're reminded that God decided to join his creation. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, we praise you for the divine word. Thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus. And Lord, we're also thankful for the Bible. Thank you for giving us this divine revelation uh, a way to know you. And Lord, we pray that this morning you would open our eyes to things in your word, that we would leave here knowing you more. That is what we want. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read for us a few verses from our section in Psalm 119. I'm going to begin in verse 64. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. God's word teaches you. That's our first point for us today. It teaches you. Look at the repetition in the psalm. Did you catch that in there? You can hear the psalmist begging God, teach me, teach me. I want to learn. Teach me your decrees. Teach me knowledge. I have learned. This is one of the key functions of the Word of God. It teaches us. It is full of information. That's an incredibly important aspect of God's Word. Pastor Dan kind of touched on it last week by way of introduction, but this is the most true, most reliable, most informative book ever. And that is because of the author. God is all-knowing. He knows all of the stuff, and so all Knowledge comes from him. And personally, I find that so comforting because I know that if I read or hear anything that disagrees with Scripture, that thing is for sure wrong. For sure it's wrong. Anything that does not align with God's Word is disinformation. The Bible is the perfect instructor. Many of us have had probably a teacher in our lives, maybe in high school or post-secondary, where we had the sneaking suspicion they had no idea what they were talking about. Anyone else? 
or at the very least, they were prone to make mistakes with the subject matter. The Bible makes no mistakes. It never errs. It is the perfect instructor. And certainly over the years, Christians have wrestled with it, right? Different parts of Scripture at certain time periods, different instructions within it, and wondered if maybe just maybe in this little small part of the Bible, maybe God got it wrong just there, right? And that happens today. We've got various churches at different ends of the spectrum who are uh, disregarding clear instructions from God's Word. And that's important to include in our discussion because this is the hinge point for all of our knowledge about God. And so if we decide that we're comfortable just like sharpying out certain verses, we are going to end up without a knowledge of God. If we look at the Bible, we read something that is clear and obvious and repeated, but we don't like it, what do we do with it? If we decide that we are comfortable being rid of it, whether that's through Sharpie or ripping pages out, we'll end up making a lowercase g God in our own image. We'll end up kind of trying to like shuffle our hips up onto the throne and kick Christ off of it. Have you ever heard the expression, God said it, I believe it, that settles it? It's cute, right? Some pillows maybe stitched in living rooms. It expresses a good thing, that we should believe the commandments of God. But guess what? Whether or not you believe something has absolutely no bearing on whether or not that thing is true. The phrase should actually be, God said it, that settles it. Now, of course, we should believe it, but our belief is not the determining factor in whether or not the information is true. Whether or not the information is true is tied to the giver of the information, which in this case is God. And so if we want to be shaped by God's Word, if we want it to teach us, that begs a few questions. Do you want to learn? Do you want to know more of God? Is that a desire within you? And once you've been exposed to a truth in Scripture, do you believe it? Maybe even if it seems to go against your current circumstance or how you feel about yourself or a current cultural narrative. Verse 66 says, Teach me knowledge, for I believe it. That is the posture of a heart that is ready for the things of God. It's basically, I trust you, God. Verse 88 says, All of your commands are trustworthy. How we interact with the commands of God tells us a lot about what we actually believe about God. For example, if you're skeptical about whether or not God is actually all-powerful, whether or not God is actually in control of all things, whether God is faithful or not, you'll be less inclined to take him at his word. Look at the psalmist in verse 68. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Look at that reminder. He's saying, I trust you, God. I believe what you say. I'm letting you teach me because you're good. You do good. You are good. Lord, teach me. And friends, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to study first when studying Scripture. If you want to be taught by the Word of God, why not start with what the Word says God is like? 
Start by studying the attributes of God. Learn them. Believe them. Take them in. We're going to see this throughout the psalm, but the more we know what God is like, the more we will delight in his ways, in his word. His commands, they don't seem intrusive or restrictive or burdensome or negative when we're staring at the one who has given them. He's so beautiful and so right and pure and lovely that when our eyes are stuck on him, whatever he asks of us is going to be good. For sure. Whatever he says is certainly going to be what's best for people. He loves people way more than people love people. He loves people way more than any group of people has ever loved groups of people before. And tied in with being taught by God's word comes with what we do with it once we've heard it. I never really thought about this before, but have you ever thought about how obedience and learning are linked? That like, if you learn something, it does you no good unless you obey it, unless you use it correctly. Like if you learn one plus one equals two, every time you see one plus one, you write down banana, that information is utterly useless to you. It has done you no benefit. In fact, you actually have no desire for the real learning because it's not being utilized in your life. Now the psalmist, on the other hand, he's smart. Look at verse 59. I have considered my ways and I have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. He doesn't wait to obey. He knows the nature of his God. He's good. He's repeated that. He's learned God's commands and he, he obeys. We've been working on this with a two and a half year old at home. We got a little phrase. We obey all the way, right away, and with a good attitude to varying results. But man, I got to tell you, sometimes those words are falling out of my mouth. It's like staring in a mirror. Lord, do I obey all the way, right away, and with a good attitude? Friends, do you drag your feet with the commands of God? Are you letting God teach you? Do you consider yourself teachable? That's bore out in your obedience to him. God has given us his word in part to reveal himself to us to remind us over and over again of his nature. He's good. He is so, so good. And so what he demands of us is so, so good. It's fitting. It's pleasing. It causes human flourishing. God wants to teach us through the Bible. And that linkage between learning and obedience kind of leads into our second point for us this morning. God's word calls you. I know we could go a million different directions with that. Let me clarify. This is kind of where like the knowledge, the information that we find in God's word causes transformation. Because God really cares. Like he is not happy to have you just do whatever you want to do. No way. He's got demands on your life. He's got good plans for you. He's got precepts for you to follow. He's got a mission in this world that you have been gifted to participate in. He wants you to know stuff, to learn stuff, sure. But he doesn't just want you to know stuff. He wants you to be utterly new, 
transformed. God's word calls us. It calls you. We could phrase it like this. The word of God doesn't just speak. It demands a response. Now, there's lots of people who have studied or looked at the Bible over the years simply for information without the desire or willingness to put that information into practice. But friends, if if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, meaning you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling you, promising you eternity with the Lord, because of that relationship, if you read a command in God's Word, you are to respond to it. Why? Because it's calling you. It's actually it's calling you to look like God, to bear his image. Listen to these words from James, the brother of Christ. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. God's word demands a response. It's calling you out. It is showing you life and godliness. And merely listening to it without a response, James says that's self-deception. He says that is as silly as being somebody who forgets what their own face looks like. And the Apostle Peter kind of reiterates the same thing to begin 2 Peter, saying, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So you've been called by the glory and goodness of Christ, he's given you great and precious promises. So what? So you can participate. So you can respond. And by responding, what do you do? You end up participating in the divine nature. You bear the image of God by doing so. And Peter says, add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, affection, and love. And then he says, if you possess those qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. And so maybe we ask, does God really have the right to call us to anything? Well, the psalmist is going to make it pretty clear why God has the right to make demands on our lives. Verse 73. Your hands made me. You formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I've put my hope in your word. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your law endures to this day for all things serve you. Friends, have you sensed like the call of God on your life? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? The psalmist phrases it like, I've put my hope in your word. Are you hoping on the promises of God? 
Why should you have any confidence in that? He tells us. Because God made all the stuff. He made you and me and the earth, and He's sustaining it all. And He made His Word eternal. He doesn't change. His Word doesn't change. His commands endure to this day. God has made you personally. And so He's got the right to call you to obey. And friends, if He made you, don't you want to know how best to use you? If his word is eternal, don't you want to set your hope on the promises that are in there? That's one way we can be shaped by God's word. Friends, if he's teaching you and he is calling you to himself, are you responding? Is it shaping how you live your life? Is every decision you make ultimately surrendered to the will of God. And this isn't just a lot of effort for no reason. We talked about this last week, and James said it right there. There's blessing in it. There's benefits to obedience to God. I love, there's, there's a little phrase in the psalm, your commands are boundless. They're sure. They're always absolutely right. Think about the safety in that. The majority of the non-opinion decisions that you are going to make in your life God has already told you precisely the best way to respond. That's amazing. Most of life, God has said, oh, here's how to do that best in a way that glorifies me and benefits you. What's safety? So God's word teaches us, it calls us, and then finally today, it guides us. And I mean, obviously there's overlap between all this stuff. But God's word guides us. So if teaches you is like knowledge, then guides us is like wisdom. And knowledge and wisdom, they get repeated over and over and over again through this psalm. We saw it earlier. He said, teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. He goes on. Your commands are always with me. They make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Wisdom comes from a nearness to God's word, a familiarity with his ways. That's where wisdom comes from. Why is the psalmist wiser than his enemies? Because God's commands are always with him. Why is he more insightful than his teachers? Because he meditates on God's statutes. Why does he have more understanding than those that are older than him? Because he obeys God's precepts. And then we sort of arrive at maybe the most famous verse in this entire psalm. That's verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. This is a beautiful picture for us of the word of God being our guide. It doesn't only tell us about reality, tell us what the path is like, but it, it illuminates our eyes to the things of God. It lets you see clearly. You ever been alone in the woods at night? Or in a cave? I got to go crawling through some caves when I was in New Zealand for Bible school. And my little group, our class, it was an adventure Bible school program, so we ended up in strange places. But one time we had been crawling through this set of caves for a couple of hours. And my leader, who was in the front of the pack, said, okay, everybody, shut off your headlamps and keep crawling. So we shut off our headlamps. Instruction goes down the row. We keep crawling forward. Quite a tight tunnel. You could touch on all sides. And eventually he stopped, and so we started to kind of pile up on him. And everybody was either crouched 
or laying flat on their bellies because we've been crawling through a space that was quite tight. And we were so far underground, there's absolutely no light. Like, eyes wide open, can't see anything. And our leader spoke for a little bit, and then he flicked on a lighter. And that little flame just illuminates the space. And we could see that crouching or laying on our tummies was quite silly because we were in this massive cavern. We're all just piled up in the corner. But we needed a light to understand our surroundings. We needed an external source of light to show us the path, to actually bring us wisdom. Now, this kind of wisdom doesn't come from like a rational, logical, clinical examination of the Word of God. It comes from a love for the Word of God. To sustain a lifetime of being directed by Him, guided by Him, you got to love this thing. If it's simply good information, smart teaching, interesting viewpoints on the human condition, your will to put it into practice, that is going to fade we got to be reminded over and over again that this is unlike any other book. This book is supernatural. Hebrews tells us it's living and active. Why? Because it's connected to the living God. He's the author of this thing. The lowercase word reflects the uppercase word. And Jesus said it outright, right? So simply in John. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That does not need complex interpretation, right? Do you love him? It's going to show more and more in you walking in his ways, in his word. Because you can't separate out a relationship with God from a relationship with his word. They're too correlated. You can't do one without the other. Jesus is the word, and the word shows us perfectly the word and we can learn something here from the psalmist. Over and over again, he says, I keep your precepts with all my heart. I delight in your law. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. Your law is my delight. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your statutes, they're my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Friends, does that sound like how we talk about the Word of God? Do we love it? Do we delight in it? Is it the joy of your heart? Is it your obsession? Is it so, so, so sweet to you? So those are three things for us this morning that God's Word does. It teaches you, it calls you, and it guides you. And again, Pastor Dan kind of said it last week, but we are not trying to be a congregation that worships the book. Mm -mm. We're trying to be a congregation that worships the God. The God wrote the book, though, so we got to interact with this thing. All of those things we talked about today, they're Jesus. In the New Testament, he's called the good teacher over and over again. He wants to teach you. In part, he has left his spirit to teach you, and he calls you that's what we just saw in 2 Peter, that the God who made you has called you by name. He's calling you out, out of sin, out of shame. Come, be in a relationship with me. It's going to transform you. And he guides you. 
He says, you're not asked to do this alone. No, no, no. I've left my spirit. I've given you my word. I've given you my people to assist you in this walk in this world. So we're not only talking about the Bible, right? We're talking about God. It's just that he's perfectly revealed to us in here. So how about some practicals? Because in this series, we want to make sure that we give ways to help all of us engage with God's word so that we can be shaped by it, so that we can experience its benefits. Now, Pastor Dan had eight up on the screen last week. We're going to put those eight up again. And the three things that we looked at this morning, we're going to relate them to some of these ways to look at Scripture. So first, if you want God's Word to teach you, you got to study it. It's like any other thing you want to learn. you got to go to class. you got to put the time in. you got to do the homework. You can't just download information into your noggin. you got to read it and learn it. And if you don't understand something, you got to find a good teacher to explain it to you so you can be taught it. There's some effort in this. Now, study doesn't look the same for everybody. Study doesn't have to be such an academic pursuit. But if you want to be taught by the Word of God, you got to study it. And second, if, if you want God's Word to call to you, you got to respond to it. you got to obey it. Now, studying the Bible by itself, that's amazing. But this was never just designed to be read only for information. A smart pastor once told me, God cares way less about information and way more about transformation. He wants you to know him. Yes, for sure, to know him. But he wants you to be changed. And maybe for you, that comes through one of these things. Maybe for you, it's memorization. That you need to learn some verses by heart so when you find yourself in a certain scenario, you know how to be like Christ. You've got it in you. Or maybe that's hanging it up in your house or taping a verse to your mirror so that you can counteract what you're saying about you with what God says about you. I did this for years. I used to have a verse, Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my heart and the meditations, wait, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I had it on a little business card and I had it tucked in directly behind my steering wheel. Because when I was in the car, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart towards other drivers or the place I was going were often not pleasing to my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. But I wanted them to be. I wanted to obey Him. So man, if I put that right here, well, now I'm left without an excuse. I may not have it memorized yet, but it's staring me in the eyeballs. Friends, if you need other resources, we got these little life group booklets. They're at the back. There's a bunch of resources on the back for all of these different ways of engaging with Scripture. And then third, if you want God's Word to guide you, you got to delight in it. And I don't have a quick little life hack for this one. I have no idea how or when I fell in love with the Word of God, but I love it. Many of you feel the same. You're not sure when it happened. Man, I love this thing. I remember a sermon once, I think it was Pastor Dan, talking about loving our neighbors, that it's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. And I think that truth holds when we're talking about the Word of God. The more you are engaging with it, putting it into practice, letting it set the course for your life, the more you suddenly find yourself 
appreciating it, delighting in it. We call this thing divine revelation for a reason. This is an incredible document. This is the infallible means of us knowing and understanding what God is like. Now, many of us, before we loved the Word, we made it our habit to act like it. We had a relationship with God. Maybe we didn't love this thing yet, but we made it our habit. Man, every morning, we're going to open this thing up every single day because we love God so much, and over time, wow, I love this thing. It's showing me my God. And so some of you here this morning, you got no routine with your Bible right now, or maybe you never have. Can I encourage you, start small and start right now. There's just no substitute for the accumulation of time in God's Word. There's no substitute. I remember learning that piece of wisdom as it relates to retirement savings. Anybody else hear this? As soon as you start getting a paycheck, start putting some away for retirement because what you do early adds up and you can't make up for those early years later on. It's good advice, right? Until I met a guy, didn't save for retirement, two years before he retired, came into quite a bit of money. I was like, wait a minute, there is a way to make up for all that lost time? (laughs) Friends, with God's word, there is no substitute. There's no shortcut. Young people, get in this thing every day. Get in it. You cannot make up for the time you don't. This is not the matrix. You can't just push it in there through a computer. You got to get in it. It's very much like the guide and the explorer in the Amazon. You will know this thing if you have soaked yourself in it. Have you ever met somebody who just like speaks wisely? It seems like they they always know the right thing to say or a little piece of encouragement or they relate something very craftily to God or they know this verse here or there. That didn't just happen. They didn't be born smart like that. No, that was hours and hours finding out what God is like and trying to act like him. And young people, I want to make this seem possible to you. We don't want this to feel like an an impossible task. Some of you, I know, don't like reading. Maybe especially some of you young fellas. Yeah, I see the eyes. Nice. I don't like reading either, okay? Ask my wife. If I get to choose what I do with my time, it is not reading. When I was in grade 7, I was in Sunday school in this basement, and we... The teachers of the Sunday school class were my friend's parents, and we had Sunday school the first Sunday after New Year's. Now, I should say that in our grade 7 class, there was 20-something boys and two girls, so there was a lot of what you would call energy, right? (laughs) And so the, the lesson that morning was related to having resolutions, like committing to doing things for God. And then at the end of the lesson, they had little gifts for us, so we were pumped. Christmas after Christmas, best day ever. So, especially the fellows, we tear into these gifts, yeah, and we are sorely disappointed. They're all just Bibles. (laughs) This is actually the one that I unwrapped. So, we're sitting there sad, and my friend's dad said, I'm going to challenge you guys, okay? There's like 10, 15 minutes a day of reading, and if you read every day, you will end up reading through the whole Bible in a year. And then he said, whoever does this longest... I'm going to give you a prize. Well, I'm a competitive guy, right? Especially with my buddies. I'm like, oh, challenge, I'm in. Love a challenge. So I start reading every morning. 
Friends, I've been reading this book every morning since. You can do it. You can do it. It doesn't have to be what I did. Start small, do a verse, do a chapter. Do something. What started as a silly contest for a prepubescent boy who hated reading has turned into a love. You can do it. And when you open God's word, ask him, Lord, teach me. Call me to yourself. Guide me. I want to follow you. He will do that. He's promised to do that. Or find an older Christian who you love and respect and ask them, how do you engage with Scripture? And try that. Try something. We got to say in this series, it has literally never been easier to access the Word of God. So Church Global, we got no excuse for not being in here. Now, we should say that doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same as someone else. You can find ways to engage with God's word in many different ways, but this is about a desire to be in here, a desire to know him more and more, to connect with him through his word. I heard this last week, yeah, last week at Life Group. There's some friends who have an app, they share a devotional, and they can see when the other person's read it, and they can see when they've highlighted verses or made little notes, and they're finding this very encouraging. It's actually holding them accountable. I find that so encouraging. Ultimately, we do, right? We want God's word to shape us. That's what we want. Then, friends, we got to know it. Is it truly what is guiding our steps? What is lighting the path for us? I'm going to invite you to stand as I close in prayer. Lord God, thank you for today. This is the day you've made. We are so, so glad in it. It is a good thing to be gathered as brothers and sisters to worship you and to be encouraged and edified ourselves. Lord, we pray that today we would not leave here the same, but that by engaging with your word, we will leave changed people. We want to look more like Jesus, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for leaving us the means by which we can know you. We commit ourselves to you again today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.